I'm Brendan Madigan, and this is Afterglow. Today's conversation is with Emily Harrington, one of the most accomplished all-around rock and mountain climbers of the last 25 years. Our conversation provides a revealing glimpse into the heart and mind of one of the most badass women alive. Not only has Emily climbed some of the hardest 514 sport routes in the world, she is one of only a few athletes to have free climbed Golden Gate, a 513 free route on Yosemite's iconic El Capitan. She is also a five-time U.S. sport climbing champion, has summited Mount Everest, and has been victorious at the Uray Ice Climbing Festival. Her accomplishments don't stop there. In recent years, she skied off the summit of Choyoyu, the sixth tallest peak in the world, while achieving a speed record on this coveted and challenging Himalayan peak. Our chat was immensely revealing, and Emily gives our audience a fascinating glimpse into her driven, committed, and passionate soul. So here it is, Afterglow, with North Face climber Emily Harrington. Twenty-five years in Boulder. Twenty-five years. Yeah. Yeah. From born and raised Boulder, yeah. Colorado. <laughs> and and you've been in California for. Uh, I guess that makes six years. Right on. Yeah. I still remember the first time we had dinner together at Sunnyside. The four of us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was a, a long, long time ago. It feels like a long time ago. It feels like I've been here for feels a while. Like ages now. ago. Yeah. What's changed for you since you got to California? I'd say. One of the biggest things is I started skiing again. So I grew up skiing in, in Colorado, started skiing when I was two years old and got really, really into it. It was my thing when I was a little kid. It was all I wanted. And I started ski racing. And then I found climbing when I was 10 years old. Started climbing in the gym and tried to do both for a little bit and then just got to be too hooked on climbing. So I essentially quit skiing for 15 years. And when I met Adrian, he basically told me right away, I'm a skier. And, you know, if this is going to work, you, you have to be a skier too. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, yeah, I grew up skiing, you know, I, Easy. I can totally do it. Yeah. And I don't think he believed me at first. He actually told me this story about how he called Emily Turner to make sure that I knew how to ski. Because I had known Emily Turner through the North Face and I'd been on like a little one ski trip with her. He was vetting you. He was. He totally vetted me. And I moved here and just fell in love with it again and now it's it's just such a nice contrast to climbing right I spend probably eight or nine months a year really focused on on climbing and training and and in the winter I I can kind of take a breath and just enjoy skiing and have fun it's one of those activities for me that doesn't have the pressure that climbing does and you know I think progress in something that you're not so elite at it just comes so much easier and it's so much more measurable whereas climbing is this really minute thing that I've been doing forever and there's all these peaks and valleys and frustrations with it and skiing just doesn't feel that way it's so refreshing it's a good release yeah it's a release so I guess that's the biggest thing that's changed for me since moving here yeah and then the other thing is growing up and then going to to university and just basically forming my community in Boulder since I was 10 years old since I started climbing you know, I didn't really have to try to, to create my own community. It was just kind of there for me always. And when I moved here, I didn't really know anyone. And I had to, to put a lot of effort in to make friends and to 
step outside my comfort zone. I'm a pretty reserved person, I would say, pretty mm -hmm. shy. And that was a huge struggle for me, especially because Adrian was guiding probably eight months a year. So he would leave and I would just right. be here like, okay, I need to like try to make some friends. I need to reach out. I need to go skiing. I need to do some things. And um, so that's been a huge growing process for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's been good. And I'm going to, I can probably say you shred harder than Adrian anyway. I'll put that on for the public <laughs> record. He can oh, well, thank you. He can take it up with me if he has, <laughs> if he has an issue. Um, your parents, particularly your dad, is legendary. Yeah. And when I spend time with Tim Harrington, it's awesome because I just find myself smiling the entire time because he's one of the most stoked humans on the planet. He and I remember you rolling your eyes at him at the Alpen Glow party, you know, and we all have those moments with our parents, right? But tell yeah. me tell me about your folks. So I'm an only child and I think that that kind of plays a big role in who I am. Uh, you know, because I grew up at just having my parents as my friends and the people who I were was closest to, I didn't have that sort of like sibling relationship and I think as a result, I grew really close with my dad because we had very similar interests. And he's always been a person who loved life. He loves playing. He loves being active. He loves being in the mountains. And he definitely fostered that in me and kind of encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to in life. And when I found climbing, he was my biggest supporter he was all on board for me to become a professional rock climber or whatever I wanted to do with climbing. And I think for him, it was so special because he started climbing with me. And so we had this in, in most sports that children do, you know, the parents on the sidelines, like coaching or supporting or whatever, not actually participating with the child. And for us, climbing was, was really special in that way. And he fell in love with it as well. And he still is in love with climbing and, and basically everything else. Pretty much my dad just wants to do whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, you How, know, how's that work out for It's you? good. It's <laughs> really good. It's a little bit overwhelming at times. But, you know, I, I feel super lucky that he's still getting after it. And he still impresses me every day. Like, he called me from Florida the other day and was like, I'm in Florida. I'm taking these, like, intensive kite surfing lessons I'm down here for a week. I just like rode upwind and I'm, it's really awesome. I'm so stoked. And I was just like, I didn't even know you were going down there. Like you're way to get after it, dad. Like doing it. <laughs> you know, he's one of those people that a lot of times I think kids are worried when their parents retire that they're not going to have anything to do. And I think he has like an endless list of things that he wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And tell, tell us about his year of awesome. Oh yeah. So when he turned 60, I think that was two years ago. He wanted to have a year of awesome. I'm I'm not sure if he totally defined it, but I think he was just kind of like, I want to do all the things that I've that I want to be rad in everything that I do. And so he he decided to learn how to kite surf. Um, that's when he started doing that. He got really back in. He got it back into skiing a lot more. I think mainly because of me and living in Tahoe. And then he had this other goal, which was to climb five twelve sport climbing. Um, in sport climbing and he'd never done that before he had always just kind of petered out at mid 511 and never really like trained super hard or anything like that and he he just decided I want to I want to climb 512 and I was like okay we can 
I think we can do this. So I helped him train a little bit at the gym and then we went to Spain together and I coached him to climb 512. And there's this super awesome video that my friend John Glassberg from Louder Than Eleven made <laughs> called Roll Reversal. I haven't really spent two weeks with my dad in Intensive. a long time, like staying in the same place, doing the same stuff. It's really interesting as an adult, like to be back living with your parents again. <laughs> and also kind of supporting him in this goal that I've known he's supported me in all of my life to just it, that's why it's called role, role reversal because yeah. i was there for him belaying him like i climbed his route probably 10 times like just to try to put myself in the mind of a 60 year old man and like try to figure out how to climb it as easily and if most as efficiently as possible right you know i like brushed all the holds for him he kept like cutting his fingers on the holds and i was like helping him tape his fingers so his skin wouldn't bleed and he had to dig really deep and he had to try super hard. And it was honestly, it's one of the most inspiring climbing short films I've ever seen. It's really good. Just because you can see this passion in him. You can see how much he loves what he does. Right. And he lo he just cherishes the relationship that we have mm -hmm. in climbing. And, uh, you know, for me, that was a really important trip and an important experience. I think we all have to watch our parents grow older. And for me, it was a reminder of like, okay, this is the time to, to make time to, to be with them and to do things that are important to them because I'll look back on it in 30 years and be so glad that I did. It's a really beautiful film. And I think what's cool for me is it's obvious that he, I mean, of course he loves you. He's your dad, but he's so all in. And I think that's really special. Yeah, he is all in. He has no, he doesn't, I mean, his only priority in life is to spend time with me and to be a good friend and to do exactly what he loves every day. Right. And I think that that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> has, has the role he's played changed as you've gotten older and more successful as a professional athlete? I think yes and no. He's still my dad and he'll still just be there for me no matter what. And I feel a lot of comfort in that. And, you know, sometimes he his presence, less now, but more a few years ago, it was a little overwhelming at times. You know, there was times when I was like, okay, you need to like... Too much love. Back off. Yeah, just like too much involvement. I mean, that was one, also one of the reasons why I moved away from Boulder. It was just too intense being there with my whole family and the place I grew up in. And just like, it was always the same all the time. And <laughs> I just needed a change. And I would say it's changed in recent years because he's kind of under, he's come to realize that and understand it. And he gives me that space that he recognizes I need now. Um, and I think it's, it's good because it makes the times that we do spend together all that more special mm -hmm. because I have a little bit of distance from that, you know, being an only child, sometimes it can feel a little claustrophobic right? <laughs> and you feel a lot of pressure to please your parents or, you know, you know, that you're basically the the most important thing to them you don't have any other other children to kind of like smother <laughs> <laughs> so it's all on you um but i think they've learned that and recognized now um that i need my space as well and that's yeah. been good yeah and how about your mom you know my mom we're we've always been close as well um it's a little bit tougher because we don't have as much in common you know she's she's never really been into climbing or skiing or being in the mountains or anything like that I would say she's more of someone I just have 
to talk to and to you know and, and for me it's harder actually it's harder to I guess open up to her and initiate conversations even though that's what I know she wants most is to just like spend time with me and talk and about whatever anything but for me it's definitely harder just because we don't have that connection of climbing and and that's always what's kind of drawn me to people mm-hmm. is, is having these common ex- common experiences and just ways to relate and I've never I've never really had that with her and I think pro- that's probably pretty common with parents um with children and parents is having one parent that's a little bit harder but as I've gotten older you know she she was always the disciplinarian and she was always the stricter one and I think you know being it was like the daughter mother relationship was always more of a struggle for sure yeah um we definitely butted heads when I was a teenager and stuff like that and now you know I think she's really proud of me and I think she she it's nice in a way because she doesn't really care what I do she doesn't understand climbing like my dad does and so it feels like our relate I don't know sometimes with my dad I feel like not that he's disappointed in me, but he knows when I fail. He knows mm-hmm. when I succeed. Like he understands climbing so well. Right. And my mother just doesn't have that perspective. She just, it's just like, no matter what, she doesn't really, she doesn't really care. Right. And it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to have one parent that doesn't really give a right. shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and, and I struggle with that too, because my, my mom is similar to what you're describing. Your mom is kind of super proud of me, but just, you know, go and do yeah. what you do and be who you are and right on and and um where my father's a little more over the top involved and yeah oh, yeah and, uh, totally I think that I can see that now with your parents yeah but it's 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 hard but also rewarding to navigate those waters of you know family relationship I think the adage is you're you're never quite the person you want to be yeah with your family yeah you know that you might be with your friends yeah and then my dad's flipped that on me at times and said well maybe you actually are the person that you are around your family oh that's interesting so it's i feel the same way sometimes i feel guilty because Mm -hmm. i'm like i don't give them the amount of time that i should i don't spend that time with my mom that i should because there's just things that we're not interested in yeah that we don't share these common interests so i i don't make the time for it and i i feel like i need to but it's it's definitely hard it's very and hard. I think it exposes a lot of weaknesses in in me as a person, maybe in everyone. Um, just that I need to like put a little more effort into those things and try to engage with people a little bit more, even though I might not have as many things in common with them. Right. Well, and I think too. I mean, one of the things I'm pretty uh, scared of is losing my parents, regardless of good, bad, and different relationship, because that's like you said, we only get one set, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's tremendously terrifying. And maybe that's when you truly become an adult. I don't know. I've heard that said. But um, how's your mom doing? Is she? She's good. Yeah. So she has, she actually has Parkinson's disease and she was diagnosed in 2014. And at the time I was terrified. You know, I thought I might lose my mom soon. And I was sort of rethinking everything in my life and my relationship with her and and all of that. And, you know, I, I think over the years it's, I'm still not entirely, you know, I haven't done as much research as I probably should on the disease. Just like, you know, kind of like what I was saying, I haven't put as much effort into it as I, as I feel like I should, but she seems to be doing well, actually. Every time I talk to her, she seems to be just very stable and, you know, like 
she's got it under control and like she's feeling good most days and she's doing what she wants to be doing and she's exercising and she's actually started uh boxing well <laughs> yeah rowdy Watch um out, Tim. yeah she's all into it you know i mean as all into it as my mom gets into anything you know which is like she goes to the gym every morning but right. she does she goes to the gym every morning and she it's has friends and she has a community and i think that she's doing well with it when you can tell that she is a fierce woman yeah, she's yeah, she is. She's fierce, and yeah. and that's something that I need to remember too. Because, you know, just because someone doesn't like ski hard or climb hard or really do it, you know, she doesn't really do any any type of sports. But you know, me- mentally and emotionally, she's strong, mm-hmm. and she can hold her own. And she's a pretty opinionated woman, and mm-hmm. um, I appreciate that about her. And I think she's I think she's doing great. I think both my parents are doing doing great i think they're in a good place right now it seems it seems to me i mean because i've spent a decent amount of time with them and just been able, you know i know how my parents act in public with me yeah. around other people and so i can see y- your dad and your mom and your, it's obvious that it's an apple and tree scenario where <laughs> tim's so warm and loving and obviously you have that in spades in your personality and your mom is just like goofing on your dad and cracking the yeah. whip on him <laughs> and obviously a very strong-willed lady so it's, yeah. it's cool to see good yeah. <laughs> who who have your mentors been growing up whether outdoor I, industry or yeah not? when I was younger I I spent a lot of time with Beth and Tommy when they were married both of them had a pretty big impact on me and on my climbing and on my life and and now I'm actually very, very close with Beth, more closer than I've, than I was with her when I was younger, even. Um, and I would say that she's been someone who has always been a source of inspiration to me. And now she's just this amazing source of, of friendship. Um, she's become one of my very best friends in the whole entire world. And, you know, our relationship grew from m- me being this little girl who just looked, looked up to her as a rock climber. And wanted to be just like her, you know, and now I look up to her as a mother, you know, I tell her everything. And so I think she's been one of my biggest mentors and inspirations, you know, and just sort of seeing where she's, the struggles that she's had, because she's had, you know, quite a, she's had quite an intense life and, um, and how she's dealt with it and the place that she's at now. I think it's, I think it's pretty, it's pretty inspiring and I've learned a lot from her. How do you, why do you think if you were, and I know you're still close with Tommy too, but why do you think it evolved with Beth as a closer relationship? You know, I don't, I'm not too sure. I think. Just one of those things. Yeah. It's just one of those things, you know, maybe because she's, she's a woman and, you know, as a a little girl, I sought out female role models, you know, in a time where there wasn't as many Mm -hmm. female role models. There still aren't that many in the outdoor world um you're a role model so you know thank you (laughs) (laughs) um i hope i am i want to (laughs) be i really respect her for obviously her athletic prowess but then being a mother yeah you know and and being able to just seemingly set everything else aside yeah i mean i'm sure she still climbs but you know she was pretty tip of the spear for a long time right um so she's one of those people that's you know everyone knows who beth rodden is everyone knows she's rad but when you actually think about it, you're like, holy shit, like she's pretty legendary, you know? And then now look at her now. I, I think it's really cool how she's shifted her priorities and done it with grace and humility mm-hmm. and a lot of honor. Um, yeah. 
So talk to me about cyberbullying. I was, we, so we had, well, not we, we hosted Caroline Gleick a few weeks ago mm-hmm. with the Tahoe Backcountry Women. You know, her REI movie was, I think, very well done, but kind of reprehensible behavior that she was the on the receiving end of through cyberbullying and vulgar phone calls and really just scandalous behavior from men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you were featured in that Outside Magazine article as well, mm-hmm. but have you had a lot of experience with that? You know, I've been pretty lucky in that I've never experienced anything to the extent of what Caroline experienced. And I watched that film and I was completely it's shocking. floored yeah. as to just the lengths that people go to to make other people to hurt other people yeah and so i've been i've been lucky but i've definitely witnessed it you know with female athletes i feel like it's a little bit different you know that the attacks that she was receiving were just it was just so beyond anything it was just awful it was disgusting it was completely disgusting and you know i've witnessed a little bit of the hate coming from like the everest world you know, with Adrian mm-hmm. and he handles it so well because he, he just brushes it off and he has a lot of confidence and he just knows who he is and he doesn't really take offense to it. But I read it and I feel very defensive towards him. I've had a few like very small, like snide comments on some of my social media posts or, you know, some people have said some things they are just maybe not, you know, not nice. And it definitely affects me. It definitely hurts and stings and doesn't feel good. But at the end of the day, those people are just trying to have a voice in a place where they probably have never been able to have a voice. And they're probably frustrated and something's going on in their lives that is hurting them. And I think it's important to remember that and to just try to not take it too seriously. But at the same time, it does suck and it hurts and it's awful. And, you know, for me with my social media presence and just the way I am as an athlete and an ambassador, I try to be really real and authentic and honest and kind of just show people who I am. And I think you do a good job of it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to ex- expose vulnerability and I don't know if that's helped prevent that type of thing from happening to me. In a way it feels like it does because I feel like people, they read something and they have an emotional reaction to it. Like, Oh my God, like I feel that way sometimes, or that's, mm-hmm. that's how I am, you right. know, they, and that's what I try to do in my, with my brand or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Um, I just try to be me. It's very authentic. And I think it works <laughs> because I haven't experienced that. I mean, but not to say that Caroline doesn't do that. I don't, you know, it might, it sounds like it was just a couple of like assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think you make a good point too, because it, instead of just letting it drag you down, if you if you do see a silver lining in it, those people are reaching out because they, like you said, they want to have a voice Mm -hmm. and there's some kind of emotional attachment that, that they're able to use that outlet for Mm -hmm. your outlet, her outlet, Mm -hmm. even if they're being super creepy and, and out of line. But, um, I think to see it as a, in a roundabout way, a positive is pretty, it's pretty enlightening. Not everyone's going to like you. And it's really easy to hate someone on a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy for a lot of people. I mean, it's easy for me to have feelings of insecurity and jealousy and stuff uh, towards towards people when I'm looking at their social media feed or something they wrote that annoys me or whatever it is. But the bottom line is if I actually sit down and talk to that person, right. it's going to be an entirely different experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of those people who are hating on Caroline or me or whoever else, if you actually were in a room with them, talking to them, 
it'd be totally pleasant and fine. Right. And we always ask people, yo, dude, would you ever talk to your mother that way? Yeah. Because if she could hear you speak like that, I know my mother would slap me across the face. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty amazing. But it's pretty timely for me, right? Because this kind of cultural reckoning with sexual harassment, all these creepy men. And, and, you know, we got some feedback in season one about not having only males, which is a completely uh, valid criticism, right? Mm-hmm. You can say what you want about a smaller pool of men versus yeah. women in a male-dominated industry and whatnot. But, you know, I, I hear things like that cyberbullying and, and what happened to Caroline and think, you know, if if we have to shoulder a little criticism because guys have fucked it up for a long time. So have white people. Mm-hmm. And um, we're happy to do that, right? Kind of like encourage that criticism because just like you said, the the person criticizing you has some kind of emotional connectivity with you and they mm-hmm. feel like they can say, Hey man, it's not cool. You didn't have any women. Mm-hmm. Totally right. You mm-hmm. know? And it, it, to me, it's an opportunity for dialogue as opposed to not ever reading the comments or the reviews and what have you. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced that kind of vibe in the outdoor industry as a, as a kind of a high profile female athlete in a gender skewed industry? Have you had that experience with gender bias? And I've talked about it a lot with both men and women and within climbing, I've been asked about, you know, whether it's easier for a male to be a professional rock climber than a female. And like the, if the pay is different and all of these things, and it's a hard question for me to answer because maybe I'm too optimistic, but I do feel like climbing as an activity and as a lifestyle is a very welcoming thing. I haven't really, I mean, I grew up climbing with boys. I grew up climbing with girls. I grew up looking up to both. I grew up being looked up to by both. And it is such a a leveling sport. You know, there are things that, that girls are better at than boys um, and vice versa. Some of the best climbers in the world are female. There is this, like, this year especially has been this, like, resurgence for, for female climbing. It's, it's been amazing the things that, that women have achieved this year, and they're receiving the recognition they deserve from, from men and women, and I see other sports, and I see the inequalities in other sports, or I hear about them because I don't have that much experience with it or knowledge, but I don't feel like it's as prevalent in climbing. That's not to say it's not there, and that's not to say that women don't get those creepy vibes from men or or feel like they haven't been treated fairly uh, by companies or, or whatever it may be. Just, you know, maybe just a, a gym climber and you feel like you've been vibed out by a dude or whatever. I've heard of these things happening and I, I would have to say that I personally haven't really experienced it that much. Cool. And I feel grateful for that. Yeah. I also think that it's not to say that it doesn't exist. And I've talked a lot to a lot of women about this topic. And, you know, there's there's these women's climbing festivals popping up everywhere. And the one thing I am super excited to see that I haven't seen before is the all-female filmmaking becoming a thing that's right. happening now. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and it, it does change things. I just got back from a trip to Mallorca. It was the first trip I'd ever taken where the photographers and videographers were female as well. It's awesome. And it does change things. It changes the vibe. It changes the way I act. I think it changes the story. I really am excited to see more of that. Right. And I think that that's been something that's really been lacking, not just in climbing, in the outdoor industry in general, is those, those female voices yeah. telling telling the stories of other females. Right. Yeah. Um, I'd say that's one of the biggest things that I'm most excited about. 
considering that female voice and I think it's wonderful that it is getting more and more focused upon because it's super authentic and Mm -hmm. valid and it needs those are stories that need to be told I think for the greater good do you see your role as kind of a I would say an iconic female athlete do you see the ways that people can use your story as kind of an empowering mechanism yeah I hope so (laughs) I struggle in my in my life and in my career with with feeling like I'm doing something tangible, with feeling like I'm being being a productive member of society. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the only things that I can think of that I can do, that I want to do, and that I'm passionate about is is share my authenticity with other people and share my, my feelings and my beliefs and who I am and my vulnerabilities and inspire people by relating to them and, you know, kind of communicating to them that I struggle just as much as everyone else with everything with failure with being a woman with like life yeah and i i hope that with my voice i can maybe inspire other people help other people encourage other people to find their passion because i think that that's it's one of the only important things in life yeah is to 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 live make a difference yeah to live a passionate life i think that's what the world needs I mean, you've spoken at our event three times, I think, if we if we count. Obviously, after doing the Winter Film Series for 12 years now, we've seen good, bad Mm -hmm. and amazing speakers. And through your storytelling, and this is a good segue, you laugh, you make fun of yourself, Mm -hmm. like you're a very relatable Mm -hmm. person when you're a superstar, right? You're tremendously good at it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> People are so fired up when you speak. I put, I mean, it is one of the, the most rewarding parts of what I do because it's one of the tangible things that I get to see and feel is when people come up to me and they say, oh my God, that was so inspiring or what you wrote was so inspiring or this really affected me or this changed me somehow. That's basically all I want out of my career is to touch people in a way and to make them feel something and to make them realize that they're not alone and you know life is messy and I deal with it too and you know I I deal with it by going into the mountains and pushing myself and climbing and developing deep friendships with with people and that's what's most important to me and I'm lucky enough that I've made a career out of doing those things my job I see is to share that message with other people and when they come up to me and tell me that they've received that message that's it that's what I that's what I need (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what I want. Yeah. Well, it's it's tremendously fulfilling, I would think. Yeah, it is. Yeah. After I feel like I've really communicated with an audience, it's probably more exciting than when I send a route mm-hmm. or, or equally as exciting. You know, it makes me want to go do it again. It makes right. me want to speak to more people. Yeah. It makes me want to reach other more people. Your stories do kind of um, definitely challenge people to live more engaged and connected lives because people have told me that after your shows oh, good. and this is a series as you know that if the speaker's bad i get heckled in the grocery store <laughs> by no the way, community really? totally yeah wow. so you know when people come up and have the complete polar opposite reaction it's 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 validating for me yeah, right that it's you've fun. then had that effect on people but um and i think you're really excellent at you know hitting the holy grail of a presentation which is the ability to take someone just a place they've never been mm-hmm. and experience emotions through those tales that they can then use in their daily life. Yep. Um, That's the ultimate goal. Yeah. <laughs> Keep doing it because you're really good at it. All right. Um, 
And has, has the reward of storytelling changed as you've gotten older? Yeah, I think it's become, as I've gotten older and as I've sort of shifted my priorities, it's become more valuable. And like I said, as I, as I get older, I, I think I, what's important to me has changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, climbing is still incredibly important to me, and I, but I struggle with it now. I struggle with balancing it with other things. I, I feel like I work pretty hard. Um, I'm always traveling. I'm always, always trying to like maintain, um, the life as a professional athlete definitely has an expiration date. It's not like most careers. And so kind of figuring out how to, how to stay relevant in addition to how to stay happy and fulfilled is, um, always a, a struggle for me. And that has been the one thing that's, that's reassured me over the years, especially recently is people who tell me like you you've inspired me in this way or you caused me to to want to do to want to 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 do something or to overcome my fear or whatever that may be when people tell me that that honestly it's the most important thing for me to hear because it helps me right it helps me kind of like figure out what i'm doing right gives you gives you meaning <laughs> yeah it gives me meaning yeah in the end that's what we all want right is to feel necessary i've talked a lot about this idea of going into the mountains, particularly on big expeditions, and bonding so strongly with your partners that when you come back to everyday life, it's very akin to someone who's gone to war. Obviously, way different, just point of clarification yeah. there. Um, do, you, do you struggle with that at all, where your everyday life isn't as rewarding as being on a trip? Yeah, I think I definitely struggle with that sort of re-entry so to speak, the suffering that we do and the, the struggles that we go through are all very voluntary and right. it's something that we derive a great deal of fulfillment and meaning from and that's why we do it. And yeah, coming home is, it can be tough and it can feel a little bit, I mostly, honestly, I mostly remember this happening to me when I lived in Boulder because I, I feel like here I have this community of, of people who I can relate to pretty much every all of my friends have been through experiences like that at some level or another people we're all mountain people we've all chosen to live here to exist in the mountains to play in the mountains people get it here you know you come back from a big trip and people want to hear about it but maybe you need space whatever um i feel very grounded when i come home and more so recently than ever before like i i just got home from a big trip that was pretty hard for me actually emotionally and mentally and you know I, I got home and it was just like I just felt like I breathed again I felt relaxed and I felt like I could sleep well and I felt like I could go skiing with my friends and, and not have to talk about it or talk about it you know what whatever um I think for me this place is different I experienced that feeling less and less because of my community why do you think it was difficult the trip so I spent a month in Kentucky and I was trying, I, I trained really hard. Um, I chose to focus on rock climbing this year instead of go into the mountains and go on a big expedition. I have an interesting relationship with sport climbing because it's something that I've, it's, it's what I became known for is climbing hard sport routes when I was a teenager. And, but sport climbing is a little bit like gymnastics in that it's very, it caters to the youth in a lot of ways. And I'm 31 now. Um, but getting I'm, old, girl. I know. feel like I'm getting old, at least. 
Um, but I'm still as passionate as ever about it, but I don't focus as much on it. I ski, I climb mountains, I do all these other things, but I went into that trip wanting to, to climb really hard and I didn't climb. I didn't, I actually failed on this one route that I was trying. I literally fell on one move for an entire month. Wow. (laughs) Which is crazy to think about. And especially being like talking to people who maybe don't sport climb, you know, most people would be like, why didn't you just move on? And <laughs> I <just laughs> literally got obsessed yeah. and couldn't let it go. And it was the last hard move on this 514 I was trying. And I just would climb up there every time. And I would spend like 30 minutes climbing up to the point where I fell. It was the last move. Yeah. Um, and I just fell over. And I probably fell there over 30 times uh, over the course of the month. And it just got so mentally difficult Mm -hmm. and I felt a little bit like I was going insane right you know like I think someone told me this the other day they're like you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome and that is sport climbing in a nutshell what we do yeah you just hope that one try it'll be a little bit different right and I did that and nothing changed over the course of a month (laughs) But, um, but those folks don't realize, I think that it's easy to armchair criticize totally. that mentality because they don't know the elation and the reward of the experience oh, yeah. of sending. Yeah, for sure. And just so everyone understands, 514, that's one of the hardest ratings in the world. And what? A very small percentage of climbers can even climb that hard. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, for me, I think sport climbing plays on my weaknesses a lot because it, it was something that I was the best at, and I'm no longer the best at it by a long shot. I mean, there are many, many people who climb 514, in my opinion. You know, like, it's all relative, right? Sure. Um, but there are many, many women that climb far ha- harder than I do, um, and they're all teenagers, mostly. You know, and that, it's Just not, crazy. as a professional athlete, it's not always easy to ha- watch that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, to watch, like, these young kids come up and, and be so much better than you were. And... And it's been like a hard process for me to accept. And obviously I have accepted it. And, you know, I, I think that it's amazing what our, how our sport is evolving. Um, but I still have, you know, I'm still a, a human being and I have these like insecurities and, and going on this trip for a month and just failing over and over and over again and not getting to feel that satisfaction of success was hard. It was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's harder to fail in that style of climbing than say like not summit a mountain. Right. Um, just because there's, I'm so much harder on myself. And I feel like when you go into the mountains and a lot of times you don't succeed for reasons that are out of your control. And Adrian and I have this endless debate about this because he's always like, well, in sport climbing, there's a lot of things that are out of your control as well. And it's just so much harder to, identify those things for me and I always put it all on myself and I'm really hard on myself about it so a lot of times coming home after a a sport climbing trip where I got my ass kicked is way more difficult than coming home from like a Himalayan expedition where we Mm -hmm. didn't summon why do you think you're so hard on yourself though I think it's because it's what I love most and it's what I just being honest it's what I used to be the best at Mm -hmm. and I'm not anymore and I still feel like there's more for me to to 
prove to myself. As I get older, I feel like that opportunity is slipping away. It may not be, but that's my, that's in my head. That's like the emotional side of me, like reacting to failing. Like, oh my God, I'm 31. Like, what if I want to have kids? Like, how many more years do I have to climb hard? Like, what if I, what if I don't do this? And it's so important to me. And it's really hard to communicate it to a lot of people who don't do what I do. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't, they're like, yeah, it's my identity. But they're like, oh, well, you'll always be able to climb hard. And it's like, yeah, but not that hard. Right. And it's harder. I think it's harder as you get older to, to make the time to, to really make the sacrifices to achieve those goals. Because you don't just, I'm not just a teenager who, who goes to college and then goes to the climbing gym. You know, I, I have a, a life and I have a career. And a lot of times that career, even though I'm a professional rock climber, doesn't involve training for rock climbing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that. Do you think getting older and, and see, kind of seeing that um, progression in your sport climbing ability and um, perception of that ability, is that driving your diversity in, in the sense of you've pursued alpine climbing and ice mm-hmm. climbing and obviously high altitude mountaineering? Do you think that plays a role? I think it's played a huge role in my decisions uh, towards diversifying. And I think it, it comes from a lot of different motivations. You know, I'd be lying if I said, oh yeah, I just really, I just really wanted to like experience something new purely because, you know, I, I, I love, you know, I, I was interested in it or whatever, you know, it, it was definitely a strategic move because I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to be the best sport climber, best female sport climber in the U S forever. Um, and in order to to tell a good, I mean, it's really hard actually to tell a good story about sport climbing. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to, to do an hour long talk about it and have people really come away with a good message because it is so like, it's just like, so it's like gets into the nitty gritty details and it's hard to communicate and it's, it's hard to talk about in a way that makes sense to people. And, and so I did start, start branching out because I knew that in order to stay relevant, I would need to. Um, and, and also there's a side of me that absolutely loves doing new things I you know I competed for 15 years and after a while that does get it does get old you get burnt out you you it's a job you know there are people coming up who are better than you and then also it's just harder to keep motivation to to keep training for the same thing over and over and over again so it was a combination of everything me just kind of needing to have new experiences and climbing thankfully is a sport that or it's a lifestyle um you can experience and all the experience it in all these different mediums and and push yourself and and keep doing it basically forever yeah um it's just right now i want to do it at a level that is requiring a lot of sacrifice and i'm struggling with like finding that balance and figuring out what how to make it all work i'm really intrigued by kind of your your stable of climbing partners because it's amazing i mean if someone had a magic wand those are the climbers they would you know, want to climb with right. from adrian to tommy to beth to conrad to angie to all of these premier athletes and you're always having fun and loving it but do you find a difference between climbing with men versus women how do you choose i there obviously is a difference between climbing and I mean climbing or skiing or whatever but between having male versus female partners you know sometimes I I feel like with women a lot of times I I can truly be myself 
I can truly be vulnerable and and show my fears and my insecurities and talk very openly about them and kind of have this it's almost like a cathartic experience to go climbing or skiing or whatever it's almost like you know I can open up in a way that I wouldn't with with any of my male partners and that's just probably just me and a comfort level that I have Mm -hmm. um and and kind of like this you know woman to woman understanding that it's okay but at the same time a lot of times with men um like for instance with Alex Honnold I feel like I always climb better than I thought I could because there's something in me that wants to prove that I'm not like I I will always be the weakest link when I'm climbing with Alex but I desperately don't want to be be. yeah (laughs) (laughs) but I like desperately want right to him to not have to wait for me or to not have to have him like remind like say something that you know like might remind me that i'm the weaker one right. um because he can be like kind of harsh sometimes when you're climbing with him in a really good way and so i feel like when i climb with him i definitely exceed my my own expectations um whereas and also he's just so much better than me and than everyone else that it's kind of he tends to take a lot of the um a lot more of the burden whereas a lot of times if i'm climbing with an, an equal or another woman or something it feels like it's much more even you know and, and we're both kind of like working together really well and then with adrian our relationship is really interesting because we have a role reversal as well when we're in the big mountains i definitely he definitely is is the one who takes control and who makes the final decisions you know he tries not to be the guide but he is a guide so he kind of defaults to that sometimes and i have to remind him to stop it when he's with me but when we're rock climbing i'm the one who who's like the coach or or the one who's who's leading or whatever um and so we have this really cool we have a really cool partnership in that way in that we are each other's strengths and weaknesses Mm -hmm. how do you guys balance that you know both being high-end athletes and playing together as partners do you guys have a good balance there yeah, we have a good balance with that, especially. We both have a lot of respect for each other and what we both excel at. Except in skiing, I really want to be better than him at skiing. Yeah. It's like the one thing. Um, you got that. <laughs> you know, I think that the the differences in our skills are so, just so wide. It's just so widespread. Like him at altitude and in the big mountains, it's just like... He's a freak. He's Yeah, he's just so much more experienced and competent and stronger um and then on the opposite side of things in sport climbing you know i've been doing it since i was 10 years old and that just is a huge advantage yeah so for the two of us we we both have a lot of respect for each other in those realms and we can definitely defer to one another um and kind of rely on each other and and we've built this really cool symbiotic relationship in that way but then on the relationship side of things it's a a struggle for us i mean just like any relationship right like the good thing is we understand what what we both do and Mm -hmm. we can relate to it and we know why we do it and it's not like one of us is always sitting at home while the other one's away on an expedition but at the same time it it requires a lot of work and a lot of balance Uh, just like any relationship yeah (laughs) they're always work always yeah but therein lies the beauty because they're always rewarding if you put the work in right yep it's true how do you deal with suffering and failure i mean we spoke to a little bit about you know, not being able to send, but yeah, depends on the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> depends on what I'm doing. Um, like I said, with sport climbing, I'm I have to relearn over and over again how to be okay with failure. It's really hard for me to accept it and to move on. And I think that's why I've been so good at it, is because I don't I get obsessed with it. 
keeps you driven. I, yeah. I just don't want to let it go. It can be, I can definitely go pretty dark. <laughs> I can definitely get pretty pissed off. I've had my fair share of meltdowns and I can be pretty emotional because I care a lot. I would say that with, when it comes to me feeling like it's my weakness that's failing, I, I struggle and I don't know if that'll ever go away. I struggle hard with failing. But then, you know, when it comes to to climbing in the mountains or, or something like that, I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty accepting of failure just because I feel like that's the only way to stay alive. It's just so dangerous if something doesn't feel right within me or just with the conditions or partners or whatever that may be. I'm I'm pretty open to being like, all right, like cool, let's turn around or let's not do this today or let's that is something that I'm really comfortable with. I, I think maybe it's because I don't have as much experience with it. I am passionate about it, but I'm more passionate. I'm truly am passionate about the experiences and less about the outcomes. Like I really don't, I honestly can tell you, I don't mind not summiting. It's not what I think about when I think about going on those trips at all. And I think that's really healthy. Whereas someone like Adrian definitely has a hard time letting go, I think, right. of things. Yeah. Um, because it is, you know, it is his thing. It's what he's always done. It's, mm -hmm. it's. It's his main passion. So I, I think I balance that pretty well, especially when we're on trips together. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that you're willing to put it out there, having a meltdown on camera on Golden yeah. Gate or whatever the case may be, you know, that you're you're willing to show people you're vulnerable and, you know, that you freak out when you can't do this stuff. And Yeah, I mean, I do. And I that's been something that has been really interesting coming from the women's side of things. You know, I've had women walk up to me before and say like you know I watched your Golden Gate video and it just made me feel so good because you made it okay for me to cry yeah and I was like hell yeah I cry like all the time like mm -hmm. I think that's okay and I think it's I don't like the fact that women feel like they can't cry when right. they get frustrated or upset and I think that that's something that hopefully I've helped to change because it's it is emotional and we do care and it is okay to like to show that you care. Right. I don't want to just be like stoic and right. <laughs> and, and unemotional and I mean Well, and you're showing it's not it. the reality. Yeah, totally. I think you're showing it while you're arguably executing on one of the premier rock climbing feats in women's climbing history, right? Yeah. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Can you integrate those kind of that uh, ability to process failure and using it in everyday life? I try. You know, I think what I've learned in climbing has definitely shaped me as a as a person and in how I deal with daily life. And one of the biggest things is is how I deal with failure and how I process it. I've heard you say that you love going into the big mountains and getting crushed. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, I think there's it goes back to me not really having too much attachment to the outcome when it comes to going into the mountains. I know that when I'm going on a trip like the one to Myanmar or um, just into, to Nepal or whatever it is, I know that I'm going to work hard. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to build these relationships with other people. I'm going to be in a beautiful place. Like I know all of these things and I'm going to have like an adventure and I'm going to come away from it feeling satisfied because because I'm not attached to the outcome mm -hmm. because it doesn't really matter that much to me. Um, and, and so for me, I, I, tr it's almost like, it's like a little bit like skiing, you know, I can go into it with this open mind and open heart and kind of just like accept whatever's going to happen. And, it, you know, 
know that the only thing I have to do at the end of the day is come home safe. And I find it to be so cathartic and exciting and, and I learn so much and I really value those experiences because I do, I feel like I almost have nothing to lose. It, it's always going to be a, a good story. I'm always going to be able to tell it in a way that I think people will, will identify with and relate to. It's not me going to a sport climbing area and banging my head against the wall for a month, which mm-hmm. I still love, but <laughs> um, it's just the total opposite of that for me. Right. And I think I derive a lot of happiness from suffering and from, you know, building that those those relationships with, with my partners. And I, was, I just spent the day skiing with Hillary Nelson and Jim Morrison yesterday, and we've been on a lot of trips together. And... After this month I had in Kentucky, I was, I was just thinking with them, like, you guys, I really want to go back to the mountains with you. I just want to, like, go have a big adventure. Like, that's all I want. Mm-hmm. I've just started to crave it again. And then I know when I'm on the trip or it's almost over, I'm going to be, like, wanting to go climb on some sunny limestone again. Right. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful cycle, though. Yeah, it is. It's a cycle for yeah. sure. And that, I guess that's my balance. Um, that's how I... That's how I achieve it. Yeah. Is to do the, do those different, those totally different things and then have some home time in the middle. Right. <laughs> totally. No. And I, th- I think too, the people that maybe don't understand the rewards of playing in the mountains could listen to, you know, how often we talk about suffering and think, why would you ever do that? You know, mm-hmm. but I think for us, and it's important to note that it's, it, it is a mechanism to cultivate happiness, mm-hmm. which is what you're saying. Yeah, it is. It's how I find meaning. It's how I find connections to other people. It's it's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and some people experience it in other ways. But honestly, I think it, I think it's lacking in a lot of daily life. Daily mm-hmm. life. I think people are too comfortable. I think right. people don't know the joys of suffering because they're not exposed to it. And I I think the more that we can encourage people to go out and have their own adventures, whatever that may be, and push themselves and be uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. like being uncomfortable is one of the, it's one of the most important experience. Yeah. It's one of the most important experiences you can have as a person. And it's the only way to grow is to like feel that discomfort and fear and whatever it, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a sport. Life would be pretty boring if we just whizzed through and it was all yeah easy but I, I feel like a lot of people do do that a lot of people don't push themselves they don't try hard a lot of times it's not their fault maybe you know mm-hmm. they haven't been given the opportunity to find something they're passionate about going back to it it's one of the things i hope to inspire people to do yeah it's like figure out what makes you uncomfortable and figure out what you love about that right find something you love yeah and then go be uncomfortable doing it yeah <laughs> it's, it's good advice I think it's timely for both of us, given, well, I'm older than you, but does the proposition of having a family scare you? Yes, it does. It definitely scares me. Scares the shit out of me. Yeah, I think it's terrifying. But at the same time, I know that, again, I don't want to just do things for myself for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I think that's also boring. And I will lose the feeling of meaning. I mean, just getting a dog has changed my life in so many ways because mm-hmm. there is something that relies on me. There's something that I can I can teach things to and and take care of and I I do think that I want that and need that in my life at some point mm-hmm. in a human form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um two legs. Yeah. And I you know I, I but at the same time I'm scared of the change. I think it's it's a huge it's a huge shift in a person's life and yeah. I 
I don't feel ready for it. But then I think about how old I am and I'm like, oh, but do I need to feel ready for it? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I obviously, I don't know that anyone's ever ready for it, mm-hmm. but you, you, it's no different than a climbing a peak or a route. You jump in and figure it out as you go, arguably, maybe. Yeah. I think, I think that's exactly it. Um, the biggest thing for me is just knowing that I have to make those sacrifices mm-hmm. and I, you know, and also wanting to, to do some things before wanting to achieve some things right. before I do it. Yeah. So that's yeah. when I feel that pressure and that time pressure a little bit. Yeah. I am always looking for kind of enlightenment in this realm because living in the mountains, we all have lost friends. How do you process that personally? It's a, it's actually relatively new to me. I mean, I've always had acquaintances, I guess, who have died in the mountains. But more recently, I've lost people who I've been closer to. It's it's really interesting. Um, obviously, it's sad and uh, it's hard to process. And, you know, you always want to believe that it, they lived their life in a way that, you know, that they wanted to. And they died doing what they loved or whatever that may be. But it's it's not always easy to accept that. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy to, to say goodbye to people in that way. I find it hard. Maybe because I'm relatively new to it. You know, I grew up sport climbing. It's pretty safe. I grew up climbing in the gym and doing competitions. I didn't didn't lose friends in that way, really. It's something that I'm learning to figure out how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't don't know if I ever will. But it's obviously something I've accepted as a a possibility for me, as a possibility for my, my boyfriend. You know, I think we're as a community we're we're closer to to death in that way than a lot of other people are. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I I feel like it's almost a lot of times it's almost too real. Um, it's not something that like happens to other people. You know, it happens mm-hmm. to, it happens to us. And right. and I don't want to say I'm numb to it. I'm not. But I find myself being like less, more and more. I'm like less reactive to it than I used to be. You know, it used to be like such a shock and, and so hard. And through the years, you know, especially knowing Adrian, who's who's been really, you know, working on Everest, guiding on Everest, he's pretty he's been pretty close to it and just have, you know, the, the experience we had with with his his mom this past few years and stuff. It's just. Uh, I don't know, I think more and more I'm just accepting that it's a part of who we are. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing we all have in common. Yeah. <laughs> yep. When no one's escaping that one. No one's going to escape it. And. I think it's just more and more it's a reminder that we really have to, to be present with each day and try to be good to the people around us and try to be doing what makes us happy every mm-hmm. day. Because in the end, like that's really the only thing that matters. If we if we do get to look back on our lives after we're gone, if we do, you know, I hope that I can say that I I was good to the people who were around me and I was overall happy. Mm-hmm. Right on. <laughs> What are you most proud of in your life? That's a good one. <laughs> it's a tough question. I don't know how I would answer it. Right? There's like little achievements, but that's not like what I'm most proud of in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty proud that I've managed to make what I love to do my career because it's not just, it wasn't just about being good at climbing. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more to it. Some of it was probably luck. <laughs> But I'm pretty proud that I've made it this far <laughs> and that I'm still doing it. It was really awesome when you and Adrian came to Kristen's repertoire. Is that the right terminology? Uh, Dance recital? No. 
<laughs> in any case, when when Dory was here, the violinist. Oh yeah. And um, he's a uh, he's gonna if we keep this in the edit, he'll he'll lose his mind. Um, <laughs> but he's a Juilliard trained violinist, and yeah. his violin is some multi million dollar instrument from the eighteen hundreds, you know. And it was really awesome because you and Adrian came. Yep. I don't know if you remember this, but I do remember. Yeah, we went out to dinner afterwards, uh-huh. and he has he's a total fanboy of Emily and Adrian and had no idea that you guys were our friends. And then you guys were enamored by watching him play, uh-huh. you know, dedication to a sport, so on and so forth. And so to watch you guys kind of have that meeting of the minds over yeah. dinner afterwards was really cool. Uh-huh. I totally remember that. I think it's really, it, it says a lot about you that you're able to connect to someone who's completely different, but has some shared a common thread of commitment and devotion and yeah one of the things that i am drawn toward is people who share that that drive and and that passion for something that i'm not familiar with something that i see as being so unbelievably difficult to master and and just knowing that those people have have spent their entire entire life just like i have perfecting that craft Mm -hmm. and so that's why on my instagram feed i follow like all these like just rent like i follow surfers and skateboarders and like um musicians whatever it may be i it's something you know it's like a skill that that i see and i'm like oh my god like that looks so impossible i can't believe that person can do that but i can totally relate to to it because i've spent my entire life perfecting something that other people see and they're like that makes no sense like why do you do it for one thing and and how did you get to the point that you got to i think that that's those stories are all very interesting and i i love meeting other people and following other people and learning their stories of people that that have that similarity mm-hmm. can't thank you enough for coming of course i mean i'm i'm stoked to be here and to do it i'm super glad you asked me yeah to of course I sincerely enjoyed an intimate and personal chat with Emily. Series 2 of Afterglow continues on Friday, November 23rd, with Stefan Drake, a Patagonia athlete and founder of DPS Skis. Drake is not only responsible for the creation of Rocker in powder skis, he's also the mad scientist behind some of the most amazing powder surfing ski shapes the world has ever seen. And in our chat, you'll see his complete commitment to the sport and how the steep and deep powder turn really is a philosophical and life-changing experience. Afterglow is recorded at the Pink Palace Studio on the west shore of Lake Tahoe. It is produced by myself and my lovely wife, Kristen Hanna, who also provided the sound engineering and editing for episode four. The music in season two of Afterglow is provided by the Cowboys Fiddle. Make sure to follow this talented duo on Instagram. That's what happens. Go this way. That's going to be a great outtake. <laughs> <laughs>